for the kingdom. Hallelujah. And I'm going to be taking my text from the book of Matthew chapter number 8. Faith for the kingdom. Matthew chapter number 8. And I'm reading from verse number 5. Matthew 8 from verse number 5. Bible says that when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worried that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority. I want you to take note of verse 9. Having soldiers under me, and I said to this man, Go, and he goeth. And to another come, and he cometh. And to my servant do this, and he doeth it. Hallelujah. Are, are you seeing what this man is saying here? I'm a man under authority. I will speak to this man, go, and he will go. He obeys my order. And if I tell this one, come this way, by command, the person comes. And whatever I ask my servant to do, that is what they will do. Hallelujah. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them, that followed him, as it were, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. Everybody say great faith. No, not in Israel. Hallelujah. And I say unto you, many shall come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. They shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so it be done unto thee. And his servant was healed. And that same said, Oh, hallelujah. I'm interested in this man. And I love his approach. Hallelujah. And Jesus made a specific commendation. There is none this kind of faith. In other words, the faith of this man marveled Jesus. If you take time to look at the scripture, there are two instances where Jesus became marveled. This is one, and the other one is Mark chapter 6 verse 6. When the people could not believe him. He said he marveled for their unbelief. So, there are two things that can shock Jesus. 
either your own belief or your faith. Are you following what I'm talking about? In Mark 6, the Bible specifically says, He marveled at their unbelief, and because of that, he could not do any kind of miracle. Here in this scripture, Jesus marveled at the faith of this man. And the shocking thing is, this man was not a Jewish person. Hallelujah. He was a Gentile. He was somebody who seems to be walking by the law. And I want you to see certain principles in what I'm about to say this morning. You may probably be carrying the Bible. You may probably be going to church. But it's not a guarantee that you have the right faith like a marvel Jesus. Here is a man who is not in the temple. Who does not carry what you call the book. But he has a faith that could shock the master himself. And I'll make you to see what our faith really is as we progress. But understand this. Record has it that this centurion, you know the name was not mentioned. It is the same centurion that built the synagogue in Luke chapter 7. It is the same centurion that you find in Acts chapter 10. It is the same person which is actually Colinius. Hallelujah. That is what the record says. Now you know the story of Colinius in Acts chapter 10. The Bible says... Your arms and your thanksgiving have become what? A memorial. Now the arms, if this story is true, and I believe it's true, has to do basically with the temple which it builds. Are you getting this? Now, what will make this man to build a temple? By implication, he has faith, though he doesn't go to church. Am I correct? Your arms and your thanksgiving have become what? A memorial. He built a temple single-handedly for the worship of God. He didn't seek for contribution. And I also do believe he didn't seek for the permission of Rome. And come to think about it, he was a soldier. In other words, he was simply a worker and he was simply a businessman, if you want to put it. In fact, he should be classified into a social class, not a religious person. But in that social concept that he was, he was able to build a temple to the worship of God. It means he knew God. Hallelujah. So here Jesus is saying, he hasn't seen this kind of faith one bit in Israel. Now when I use the word Israel, it also means Jacob. Because Jacob was the first person that the name was given to. Is that okay? And that is why somebody was writing recently, and I'm sorry to say that, but he said Jesus founded Christianity. And I said no. Because if you said Jesus founded Christianity, then you're also going to tell me who Abraham was. Abraham was not a Hebrew. I mean, Abraham was a Hebrew and not a Jewish person. Do you understand that? Because the Jews came from Jacob. But Abraham is a father. Are you still there with me? Hallelujah. Something developed along that line doesn't mean he's a founder. I just want you to understand it. Is that okay? Now, what am I trying to say? He spoke to the Jewish people who are supposed to have the covenant, who are supposed to be the children of the kingdom. Now, the children of the kingdom do not have the kind of faith that this unbeliever is exercising. And I want you to follow it. So sometimes you discover that some of the things you don't get, even though you are in charge, is simply because of your disconnection to the source of those things by reason of your faith. Is that okay? Hallelujah. Now, 
When he said no such thing, I'll try to explain to you. The Roman people, for instance, this man was not a Jew. He was a Roman person. And you know, the Romans were kind of having dominion over the Jewish people at this stage. Amen. All right. Now, there's something we need to read about there. When we look at the book of that same Matthew and look at verse 11, that's Matthew 8, verse 11, and then verse number 12, I find something very interesting there that I would like you to see. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, in verse, verse, verse 11 and verse 12, but before then, you find that he made a statement. Let's go back just a little bit. Go to verse 10. Go to verse 10 very quickly. Uh, he said something which has to do with being in the kingdom. Amen. Okay. He marveled and said, those who follow you, I'm sure they are unto you. I've not found such faith, not even in Israel. That's what I've just explained. Now, if you go down, you find that another thing he said is that there are those who are the children, supposed to be the children of the kingdom, that these people shall be cast out into what? Outer darkness, and there shall be gnashing of teeth. Now, let's look at that. And he says, and I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into what? Out of darkness. There shall be gnashing or weeping or gnashing of teeth. Now understand the picture. First of all, I have always asked this question. If you say the kingdom is not readily available, then you are saying... Jesus, now the question is this, how can you take something that is not existing from somebody who is alive? Hallelujah. He said the kingdom shall be taken from the children of the kingdom. Now the children of the kingdom were the Jewish people. As at that time and in context. Is that okay? So friend, if the kingdom is not yet available, how come Jesus is saying the kingdom shall be taken away from them? The fact that Jesus said it shall be taken away means the kingdom is readily what? Available. Does that make sense? Okay. Because it's only what is available that you can take from somebody who does not value what you are giving to the person. So the kingdom is available. The kingdom has only been available. Now here is the story. He said the kingdom shall be taken from the children of the kingdom and they shall be cast into what? Outer darkness. And they shall be weeping gnashing of teeth. Well, some people say this is hell. I have no problem. But I want to explain something a little bit different. Because Jesus wasn't speaking about the future. He was talking about the now in relation to the Jewish people and what he was going to do as he goes to the cross. Hallelujah. Now watch this. In the Jewish understanding as he relates to the Messianic order, the kingdom is likened to a feast. And so if you look at the Bible, you're going to see the parable of the feast. Is that okay? You talk about the lost supper, you talk about the supper of the married lamb, of the lamb, and all of that. Always the kingdom is likened to the parable of a feast. Now, get this picture right. When a Jewish man is getting married, this is what happens. If this is the house where the feast is going to take place. And most often their marriage takes place in the evening, not in the daytime. Hallelujah. Now the, the, the master of the ceremony is going to position some people by the door. And they will make the door very narrow. So that people don't crash in if you are not invited. Only those invited get in 
where the marriage is taking place. Are you listening to me? And right inside, they're going to see candles and light all over. Within where the feast is going to take place. Where they're going to see to eat and all of that. But if you are not invited, you can pass through the door. Because there will be somebody positioned by the door. And this man has, in our days, what we have is invitation cards or whatever. But in their own place in the truth, they have something form of apron. That when you are passing by that gate, the man by the gate will give you one, you put it on. You go in and sit down. Are you listening? Now, that road that is made narrow is what you said, if you look at the Bible, it says, going through the narrow gates. For the way to destruction is wide and many are those are following. Are you getting the picture now? That is what you read about the narrow gate or the straight gate. That is the gate that will be made narrow for only those invited on feast to pass through. When all those invited are passed through that narrow gate, they shut the door. Are you listening? Then those outside comes in knocking, we also want to come in. Mighty 25. The five and the wise virgins. Are you getting that? Once all those who have invited us gone in and the door is shut, they come in and knocking, we also want to do what? Come in. Now, when God is saying, the kingdom shall be taken away from them and shall be wailing at gnashing of teeth. It's very simple. All those who cannot come in, they are already in darkness because there is no light outside or only on the inside. Did you get that now? Those outside, they are already were in darkness. Not just that. Those outside, they are going to live in hunger because the feasting is in the house. Are you following the picture? I want you to catch what the kingdom is all about. Those in the house, they'll be feasting. Those in the house, they have light. Those in the house, they have joy. Because where there is feast. Can you remember what the Lord said? I'll prepare a table before you. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Are you getting that? When the food is ready, there is joy. But here are people outside who are not on the inside. And because they are not inside, they can't enjoy the food. They are hungry. They can't see light. They are in darkness. They are out in the darkness and cold is troubling them. Gnashing of teeth. Are you getting this picture? It means if you can assess the kingdom, these are the things you suffer from. Cold, which is that, that affects the natural world. Everything that makes the people of the world to gnash their teeth will be your portion if you are not in the kingdom. Are you listening to this? You miss the joy of the kingdom. Because the joy of the kingdom comes from the feasting and the presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, there's what? Fullness of joy. As long as you don't assess the kingdom, you are in the wall. There is gnashing of teeth. No joy for you. Are you still following that? Once you are not in the kingdom, which is inside the feast with the Lord, no light, no understanding, no revelation. You walk in darkness. Are you listening to me? So what am I trying to make you see? Except you assess the kingdom by what I'm about to show you, all of this eludes you. Though you are in the war, by implication, the kingdom will be taken away from, from you. Though you are existing. And that is why we say the kingdom is not available. Why? Because we lack joy. <laughs> we lack protection. Because even if you are on the outside there, there is no protection. The cold, you are open to all kind of harsh weather, if I may use the word. It's very synonymous to what you find to be the outer court. Hallelujah. 
So when he said the sun shall not smile by night and move by night, he has to do with those who have moved from the outer court into the most holy place. Amen? Because only in the most holy place shall be secret place of the most high. The Bible tells us those who dwell there shall abide. Amen? And there's protection for those who are in the secret place of all of the most high. That is, you have gone inside, you are not outside. But if you are outside of the kingdom, you have outside of God's own covering, there is gnashing of teeth, there is hunger, and you walk in darkness. Are you listening to me? Because only within the feast that you're going to have the light, that you can have the food, you can have the presence of the Lord, the communion with the Lord is only when you are attending to the feast that He invested you. And if, how many of you know that even as we are talking, God is still inviting people to come to Him? Are you getting what I'm talking about? So sometimes you begin to wonder, why am I suffering? You are just outside of the feast. You are outside of the feast. Because that is where joy is. You are outside of the feast. You are on the outer court. And there is every harsh condition that definitely will prevail to affect you. Hallelujah. I want you to come to this understanding this morning. That what Jesus promised and what he came to do, he has done. Nothing can be added to it. Are you still following what I'm talking about? Praise the living God. So, if you go down to John 10 verse 1, you're going to find what I'm trying to say. When he says, enter through the door into the sheepfold. Is that okay? That is a door. That is a narrow way. That is the only way by which you can come to the Lord. And the Bible says, whoever comes through another way is a thief and a robber. And just in case you want to take that, that's what I try to explain to people. You don't preach. Uh, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And you think you are talking to anybody called the devil. He's not talking to the devil. Jesus wasn't talking to devils in the book of John chapter 10. When he said the thief come to steal, to kill, and to destroy, it has to do with those who minister to the same without passing through Christ. Those who preach another gospel. Are you listening to me? He, he was actually addressing the scribes and the Pharisees. And just in case you want to take that from me, he's actually talking about pastors who do not go through Christ, but go through their own name, go through their own principles, go through their own method and preach their own messages. These are the thieves and the robbers that come to the house of God. Are you still there with me? Does that offend anybody? <laughs> Alright, but then, take it or leave it. That's the truth. He's not talking about any devil anyway. Are you still there with me? <laughs> if you take your time and read the Bible, you're going to find what I'm talking about. Amen. Hallelujah. It means you can assess the joy of the kingdom. How I many of you remember Romans chapter 14, 17? What did he say? The kingdom of God is what? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, if God's kingdom is righteousness, if God's kingdom is peace, if God's kingdom is joy, as affected already by the Holy Spirit, and we believe that the Holy Spirit is here, it simply means we can have righteousness, we can have joy, and we can have peace. Hallelujah. So if we don't have peace, if we don't have joy, if we don't have the righteousness of God, simply means we are not in the kingdom. And that also means we are not listening to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not doing what he's supposed to do in our lives. How many of you understand that there's a big difference between the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Is that okay? You may manifest the power without a fruit. Hmm? And if you manifest the power without a fruit, definitely you're going to miss the righteousness of God. You are going to miss the peace of God. You are going to miss the joy of God. We've seen people doing sense and wonders and they are never happy. How many of you understand that? That shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be the case one bit. So get the picture right. We're talking about entering the kingdom. I am saying even as you are alive, you can have the joy and the peace of God. 
For those of us following the series on the armor of God, you know what I was talking to you a few days ago. We're talking about the peace that passes all understanding. And Jesus said, my peace I live with you. Not the kind of peace that the world gives. My own peace. The peace I had while I was walking the world, I live with you. That is the peace of the kingdom. Understand that. That when there was trouble even in the sea, because they had the peace of God, he was still sleeping. How many of you noticed that? What made him to be sleeping while the storm was there? Or because they have the peace of God. And that is what he said he will give to you who comes to him, who have received him, who believe him. That is kingdom peace. Glory to God. Amen. So, what produces trust in Christ? Because when you talk about faith, what is faith? Faith is absolute trust. Absolute trust in a person. Absolute trust in Christ. Absolute trust. Hallelujah. Let me quickly define this. <coughs> Excuse me. We know Hebrews tells us. Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now faith is. How many of you understand that? The things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now watch this. How can you have a hope? Except if you trust the one that made the promise. Are you done with me? Listen very closely. If I, for instance, promise you one billion, you will just say, I agree, praise God. You'll be, on your inside, you'll be laughing. Because you know, I do not have one billion in my account right now. But I could have it more than that tomorrow. How many of you understand that? But don't wait till tomorrow until I made the promise. Believe it now. <laughs> Are you still there with me? Now, if you look at me and you know I'm worth one billion, and I come to you and I said, okay, now I want to give you two million, not even one billion, two million, you will readily believe. Why? Because you know I have up to one billion in my account. Your faith is on the fact that you know me, that I have one billion in my account, and two million out of it is no problem to me. Are you getting that? So you cannot say it until you know the one that makes the promise to you. It's not enough to make a promise. Your faith in the one that makes the promise is your assessment of that individual. What he has in store. Are you see that? If somebody walks to you and said, I want to give you a piece of land. And you know this man does not have a piece of land. He doesn't have one for himself. You're going to say, okay, thank God. But you won't have confidence because you know this man does not have a land. Are you getting that? So what makes you to trust a person is the resources of that individual. So therefore, if God makes a promise, the basis of you believing God is that he owns the world. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Therefore, when you don't have faith in Christ, you're also saying, I don't believe. That you have what you are saying. Are you there with me? Listen very closely. Because this is very crucial. And I want you to know it today. So that when you read the Bible. You must come to agreement with the author of the Bible. Who said this is what he wants to do. You don't need to doubt it. Because you know him. That he owns what he promised in the book. 
Are we together? So if God says the thing, you are not supposed to doubt it. Why? Because by your own assessment and evaluation of the word of God, he owns more than what he's promising you. Can I hear an amen to that? That's the basis of your faith. So when you see faith, you are saying, who is speaking? And by the time he has said the person who is speaking, and you know what he has said, I know he can do what he promised because he has what he promised. Does God own anything? Does he own everything? Does he own the world? Is God a worthy God? Therefore, if he promises you anything, you have every right to do what? To believe what he promises. Now hear what the centurion says. You don't need to come to my house. The word is coming alive now. Because like me, I'm a man under authority. That means I have power. I have authority. Is that okay? So he's translating his own experience and position into that of Christ. I believe you that you have power because I have power. I believe that anything you say comes to be because I do the same. Are you getting what I'm talking about? I know if I tell a servant to come, he will come. So if you say the same thing, every servant in creation will do what? We obey you because you own all things. Great faith. Until you assess the one making a promise to you, you can believe him. That's why the Bible says, put your trust not in man. Why? Because men may say what they don't have. And even if they seem to have it, they don't have conviction to release it, even after the promises. Are you getting this? So here is this centurion speaking. Hey, Jesus, you don't need to come under my roof. No need for that. Because the way I operate, I can be here and blow the whistle. Soldiers will be running down. And if I get to live here, everybody on your attention, they will leave. They don't disobey. And you are the creature. You created all things. Everything you say to your creation, they will respond to you. I want you here to speak. And that which you say here will happen in my house. Come on, am I talking to somebody here? When you come to know God at this dimension, you don't need a physical Jesus to get your healing. You don't need a physical Jesus to get things done. You don't need a physical Jesus to transform the world. You don't need a physical Jesus. You only need a word from Jesus. Great faith. Are you there with me? <laughs> I'm a man under authority. You don't need a physical Christ, I repeat. To believe in, in what he says. If you truly believe Jesus, you believe what he says to you, it will come to be. Because you know that he has what he promises you. Are you following what I'm talking about? I want your perception about Christ to change this morning. Now you don't need one man called Jesus to float from the sky before you believe what he says. He has simply written a will. How many of you can remember what we studied on the will? The Bible is the will of God. A will is a testament. A testament is a document appropriating a portion of inheritance to his own descendants. And every testament of will comes into fulfillment when the testator dies. So when Jesus died, his will was brought into effect. So everything he wrote concerning you, you can have right to it. Are you listening to me? That is why the kingdom is not a tomorrow affair. 
The kingdom is not tomorrow. You can live in wretchedness, live in poverty. You can be believing for heaven, if you will. You fly up one day, whatever it is. But I'm trying to make you understand God brought the kingdom here. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. The prayer is bring down the kingdom, reveal the will. So before the foundation of the world, God wrote a will. And when he was writing the will, your name was included. You sit there with me. As a child of God, you have a passion in the kingdom of God. You have a passion in this world because when God was writing his will, your name was there. All you need to do is to find out what belongs to you. And take the word of God for what he says. And that which he promises you will come to pass. Because he has what he promises you. Hallelujah. Amen. So I want you to understand this. So when we're talking about coming to the place of great faith, we're dealing with the word that God speaks to us. We're dealing with assessing who is making the promises. We're dealing with the individual because we know you have the capacity to release whatever he promised us. That's why the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Come on, have you read in the word? God is not a man that you lie, not a son of man that will change. He won't come to say, well, I'm sorry. Um, I know I said it before, but um, you see... Because of the economic situation, because of uh, the, the subsidy, you know. It's not a son of mine that will change. Am I talking to somebody? Subsidy does not affect his economy. Am I talking to you? So if you made a promise yesterday and the subsidy today, he will increase it because he had made a promise. One thing is his name is at stake. You know what he says? He honored his word more than his name. Do you understand that? His word is so precious to him because... If his word is not fulfilled, he makes himself a liar. Did you get that? That is why his word is more important to him. If he makes a promise, he wants a character, otherwise he becomes a liar. He becomes a deceiver. So God stakes by his word. If I can stake his life to his word, and if he says a word to you, I promise you this morning, that word will definitely come to pass in the name of Jesus. There is no variableness, there is no changeability in God. God, there's no variable. He doesn't change. He's constant. Am I talking to someone here? God is just constant. He makes a promise, he's going to bring it to pass. Hallelujah. Several things I've been speaking to you that God spoke 1988, 1990. All those times, even when I was not in ministry, every day I'm seeing those things coming to be one after the other. Even here that we are, it's a world revealed. Years back. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? Praise the living God. There is something I'm even looking for now. And I'm sure, very soon it will show up. God said it to me. I believe it. Because if he has fulfilled one, two, three, four, he will fulfill the remaining ones. God's word cannot change. He owns the universe. He treasures his word. He believes in his word. Even more than he believes in his name. Because the word of a man makes a man. Do you understand what I've just said? Everything a man says describes who the person is. Amen? That's why some people talk to you and say, don't mind him. He has started again. What does that mean? You know that he never fulfills whatever thing he says. He has started again. But not with God. Help me tell you, no, but not with God. If God says a thing, he will bring it to pass. Is that okay, somebody? What am I telling you? I want you to look at the life of the centurion this morning and see precisely what great faith is. So that on your part, you come to the place that your faith will begin to marvel God. Glory to God. 
Say, I've never seen such faith in Israel. Say, Jesus was marveled. He was surprised. He was amazed. He was astonished when a man said, don't bother to come. How many of you still want to see a physical Jesus before you get your healing? How many of you still want to see a physical Jesus before you get your resources? How many of you still want to see a physical Jesus before you get married? How many of you, you want to see a physical Jesus? But here is the centurion said, I don't need you in my house. I know what you can do. Speak the word wherever you are. So let God speak from heaven. You get what you want here. Hallelujah. All you need to do is to hear God say something to you people. And that is the end of the matter. You still follow what I'm talking about? No matter how rough the situation is, let God just speak. He can speak through a man. He can speak through circumstances. But just know this is God talking. And once you conclude that this is God talking, the matter is settled. It doesn't have to be around. I don't look for a physical Jesus. Because I know he's always around. All I'm looking for is his word. And whatever he says to me, I'm getting hold of it. I'm going to grab it because I know it will be real. Am I talking to somebody? Let his word become manifest. Yes, the Bible says, as you have so believed, let it be done to you. And we are told that right at that same moment, the servant of the centurion was what? Was healed. Because he said the word. All you need is a word from God. You don't need too many things. One word. Stand up and let's pray. Just want you to talk to God this morning.